Hi, my name is Janelle Hart, and I am a managing editor at Sightline. Joining me today are May Mashir, Senior Director of Global Regulatory Affairs at Advanced Clinical. Today, we are going to discuss considerations and strategies for overcoming regulatory challenges in a complex clinical trial landscape. Let's dive in. So to give some context, can you briefly describe the current regulatory landscape for biopharma clinical trials? I would say the regulatory landscape has been revived post-pandemic. That was once a challenge in terms of data sharing, harmonized standards and regulations. The changes required to approve a product or clinical trial during a public health emergency resulted in a permanent change to the regulatory landscape, whereby the changes are here to stay. The current regulatory landscape is constantly evolving to keep pace in, with advances in product development, patient advocacy for closer engagement to have a voice with the regulatory agencies and drug manufacturers to support with the design of clinical trials. I find the current landscape is exciting and supporting innovation. In scientific advice meetings in the EU, for example, patients are also often consulted. Therefore, the biggest change in my view, which is here to stay, is the improved ways of working. And there is general agreement that clinical trials will not revert to pre-pandemic norms, but instead are increasingly becoming digitalized and decentralized. And May, to continue on that perspective, what are some current top priorities that regulatory agencies are focused on? In my opinion, the top priorities that regulators are focused on with regards to clinical trials are the innovative ways of working, such as mutual recognition of approvals from other regulatory authorities, the increased transparency in reporting, diversity, equity and inclusion to ensure patient populations are fairly represented, data protection and cybersecurity and decentralised aspects of clinical trials. Outside of clinical trials, I would like to add that sustainability is also a top priority. Absolutely. Great points there. In more diving into these challenges that life sciences are facing, um, what are some of those key issues um, when developing and managing clinical trials? You know, that's a great question, Janelle. So from a regulatory perspective, over the last few years of working on clinical trials, um, uh, I have observed an increasing trend of the impact of people supporting the setup of running of clinical trials who have burned out from the intensity of the work, especially during the pandemic, because everyone was in it together or through the sheer increase in the number of clinical trials being conducted. One global regulatory lead could be assigned six studies to manage, and each study could have many countries involved, for example. Therefore, it is a balance for the life science companies to not only ensure the safety and well-being of the patients that are enrolled on their clinical trials, but also of their employees. Also, for those companies specialising in cell and gene therapy to treat rare diseases, there is often a lack of clear regulatory guidance as the guidance pertaining to the manufacture, quality and controls for the traditional chemical drug can't be applied in the same way for cell and gene therapy products. The responsibility for qualifying a cell and gene therapy supplier rests with the life science company that may not have the requisite expertise or full understanding, plus they don't have clear guidance from the agencies that only states the roles and responsibility lies with the manufacturer. Finally, the majority of life science companies are small to medium-sized enterprises, essentially startups, with only a limited number of employees at their disposal. Usually this would be the CEO, the chief medical officer, scientific officer and the clinical operations leader with no experience of preparing or submitting a clinical trial application and study startup. 
This presents a challenge in itself. Although developing and managing a clinical trial can be outsourced to a clinical research organisation, how does a small company ensure they select the right one if they don't have the functional representatives to make that assessment? There is also fierce competition for talent. Regulatory affairs is a relatively new profession with many different types of areas to specialise in. Hiring a regulatory professional that only has experience in post-marketing, for example, would not enable a company to be able to expedite and submit a clinical trial application for agency approval without extensive training first, as that would require a regulatory professional with clinical trial experience as marketed drug products operate under a different regulatory framework. Overall, the majority of the challenges are really people-centric in my view. Definitely. And you touched on some really important considerations in the clinical trial space. You've touched upon um, some of kind of the newer aspects going around in the industry um, and how you are adapting to those. I want to know how the emergence of AI technologies, in your opinion, has changed workflows and considerations for clinical trials. Again, uh, I think collaboration is key here. Um, Regulatory authorities are willing to learn and work with industry and academia and are helping each other by jointly setting priorities and having transparent conversations about what changes are required in, in the future via working groups. Regulators understand that some innovations under development will need to be evaluated in untraditional ways. New data types and product developments will also challenge traditional methods. The regulatory system itself and the rules applied in evaluating these products need to be under constant scrutiny, but also be quick to adapt. And what would you say are some of the benefits and limitations of AI use for regulatory compliance? Seen as patient recruitment and data management are among the largest cost drivers of clinical trials and are currently where AI shows the most promise. AI, particularly deep learning, machine learning and natural language processing, combined with an effective digital infrastructure, has the potential to improve drug approval rates, reduce development costs and deliver medications to patients faster. The benefits of applying AI to operational data can drive clinical trial efficiencies unlocking real-world data using predictive models and analytics tools to accelerate the understanding of diseases, identify suitable patients and key investigators to inform site selection, including virtual trials and support novel clinical study designs. Adoption of AI technologies is therefore becoming a critical business imperative. For limitations, with, with all the benefits that are highlighted earlier, the necessary skills and talent to integrate AI technologies into clinical development strategy. The adoption of AI innovation requires an internal team of experts from biologists, chemists, engineers, data scientists and bioinformaticians working in cross-functional teams. Although biopharma companies can benefit from selecting reliable partners to leverage their extensive knowledge and expertise gained from repeated experience, Tech giants are the leading experts in the use of big data and in developing new AI solutions. For biopharma companies, tech giants can be an opportunity as potential partners or a threat as competitors or both an opportunity and a threat for which they need to have a clear strategy for how to respond to this changing landscape. Regulators accept the potential of leveraging real world data to make clinical trials more accessible. However, data-driven approaches will only enable faster regulatory approvals, improved patient experience and early access to treatments. 
only if there is early engagement and increased transparency. And so given this excitement around AI and other technology, and also just the many challenges that we've already discussed, it seems like, um, you know, life sciences companies should take a more global and patient-centric approach to clinical trial design and management. Can you maybe speak to some of the considerations that should be taken into account when they are doing that? The considerations are closer engagement and cooperation with the regulatory authorities, patients, advocacy groups, trade associations, experts, healthcare providers, etc., to help inform clinical trial design, especially with the move to closer global harmonisation. We are seeing scientific advice meetings between companies, the regulatory authorities, and often patients with experience of a particular disease are consulted to ensure that appropriate clinical aspects are considered. Also as well, in terms of adapting to these considerations and challenges, and it might also sound like a cliche, but a certain amount of agility needs to be displayed. In my view, the biggest uh, change, so to speak, of is, is to rely more on partnerships. My observations are that there seems to be more trust that has developed, resulting in further communication and collaboration between the companies, the patients and the agencies and other partners. So I think this is a new era for overcoming these challenges whereby there is far more collaboration in which there's been major improvements in recognising other country approvals as well and then reducing approval timeframes, ensuring that the, the patient's access uh, to medicine, they gain access much sooner in the process. Do you have anything to add there in terms of why life sciences companies should prioritise collaboration with regulatory authorities? I think that life science companies should not only prioritise collaboration with the regulatory authorities, but also consider collaboration with another life science company, often perceived as competitors. There can often be learnings from perceived failures. Collaboration with the regulatory authorities is crucial to help shape and influence emerging guidance, update existing legislation by sharing pivotal insights and even support with rewriting some text from an industry and patient perspective. Regulators really welcome that because the majority of regulators do not necessarily have the real world industry experience and an emerging regulation or guidance may be written with the intention of providing direction and guidance, but in reality may be virtually impossible to implement because the proposal would have a negative impact for small companies due to the cost and additional resources required, potentially putting them out of business. This was the case for the EU CTR and the EU MDR, where the implementation date was continuously pushed back, despite being finalised in 2014 and 2017, respectively. Life science companies should also prioritise collaboration with each other. An easing of competition rules and flexibility shown by regulators has helped pharmaceutical companies and medical device manufacturers in direct competition with one another to cooperate to overcome problems that threaten the security of supply of vital medicines and equipment during the pandemic. Competitors continue to work together to address supply chain risk with a shared goal of earlier access of medicines for patients. The pandemic has emphasised the need for the continued work on its supply chain resilience, access to local manufacturing, maintaining local reserves and ensuring uninterrupted supply of essential medicines as a priority. What are some other ways that life sciences companies can anticipate and adapt to increasing regulatory complexity? 
I don't wish to overuse the word collaboration, but competition aside, a willingness to share knowledge, learnings, best practice, data and technology with each other can help uncover innovative new treatments, delivery mechanisms or dosage regimes with inspiration available from the successful partnership that has been in the sector during the pandemic and post-pandemic. With improvements in clinical trial design, technology, patient access, closer engagement has resulted in new roles, responsibilities and and experts. Upskilling, talent management, resourcing are key considerations to meet the, the increasing complexity. There have also been an increase in free webinars and workshops run by specialist member organisations and conferences, which includes insights uh, from the regulatory agency as well. I'm wondering what maybe other future opportunities there are for working around the challenges while trying to enhance, you know, clinical trial workflows and getting safe product to patients. There are many opportunities for working around the regulatory challenges. This is why I absolutely love regulatory affairs because of the breadth of work and the diversity which has presented many opportunities for me to develop in my career. There are so many aspects that you can specialise in or be exposed to. In my 20 plus years of working in regulatory, I have seen many regulations come into force that resulted in new skill sets and professions being required or developed. I see future opportunities in developing expertise in diversity, equity and inclusion, decentralised trials, transparency, data protection, patient engagement, to name only a few, all in enhancing the clinical trial workflow. Do you think that we can reach global harmonisation in this space, you know, given you know, all the competing factors that we've talked about thus far? Definitely. Uh, I think so. I believe it's going to happen much sooner for global product approvals, but for the clinical trial landscape, this will take much longer in my view. We are not completely there yet with a single global harmonised approval process, which would improve efficiencies, reduce costs and speed up patient access to potentially life-saving medicines. However, we do have global harmonisation in that there is the ECTD format, which is a global standardised electronic format known as the Electronic Common Technical Document Format. This is the required global format when making a submission to obtain the commercial licence to market the drug across the world and is required from all the major agencies. The ICH guidelines are also global in nature. And finally, there has been an increase in the number of mutual recognition type initiatives, whereby if a major agency such as the FDA has approved a drug for sale, it will be recognised by other agencies such as the EMEA, MHRA, PMDA, corresponding to the EU, UK and Japan, resulting in reduced timeframes for assessment and approval. Examples of global initiatives are Project Orbis, whereby eight global agencies mutually recognise cancer therapies and the recently announced new international mutual recognition route to facilitate safe access to new medicines announced on the 30th of August this year by the MHRA with implementation for 1st of January 2024. As an example, the MHRA will reduce their approval times from the standard 150 days to 60 days using any one out of the six other regulatory authority approvals from Australia, Canada, the European Union, Japan, Switzerland, Singapore and the United States. This new international recognition framework was facilitated by existing international partnerships such as those developed through the Access Consortium and Project Orbis. 
in a nutshell, we are definitely getting there in terms of the new product approvals, but it will take a lot longer in my view for the clinical trial landscape due to not only the divergent system and formats, but also the site level approvals required from the ethics committees or the institutional review boards. There has been good progress though with the implementation of the EU CTR and the UK IRIS system. Both systems issue a single harmonised approval with the EU CTR potentially covering up to 27 EU member state countries in a single approval. So, you know, although I might say it might take a lot longer, I think we've seen vast improvements in the clinical trial space, because if you imagine prior to the EU CTR, you would have had to have independent national approvals from each country and you would need a dual approvals from the regulatory authorities as well as the site level approvals as well. For sure. So it seems like there's a lot of progress happening as well as a lot of potential for opportunities in this space. I want to thank May for taking the time to have this discussion today. I would also like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Advanced Clinical, for making this very insightful conversation possible, as well as our listeners. Thanks for tuning in.